You're listening to Destination University, a podcast for college-bound teens and the parents and mentors who support them. If that is you, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Welcome to episode number 89, from first African-American Miss Alabama to award-winning PR agent. Okay, you are going to love the conversation we are going to have today with Tony Purry. Tony is an author, is the author of my hype book, but the story that sticks with me even today is the story of her journey on becoming Miss Alabama, the first African-American Miss Alabama. So wait till you hear the details. Oh, they're so good. So she's now, she's become an award-winning PR agent. And I'm so jelly to tell you that Tony herself has graced the pages of the O magazine. And I know you know which O I'm talking about. The O as an Oprah. So I've waited for literally for years to interview Tony on the show. And you know why I've waited so long is because I know that she's going to be an inspiration for you. She finds a way to raise the bar and find your amazingness, which I think I just made that word up, um, even if you don't know what your own amazingness is. So um, if you are a motivated college-bound teen, this show is for you. If you are a parent uh, of a teen who needs some encouragement in finding their own coolness factor and amazingness, this show is definitely for you. And if you are a champion of college-bound teens, this show is definitely for you. Welcome everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Cynthia Colon, founder of Dream College Academy and College Essay Bootcamp. I'm so happy that you're here. And this is Destination University, where college dreams really do come true. Welcome to today. There is no guarantee for success, but there are ways to get closer to it when you do the right things. Who you surround yourself with is just as important as what you do. Finding the right people, the right classes, the right activities, and taking the right tests are all decisions that shape your future. Find out more today on Destination University with Dr. Cynthia Colon. Dr. Colon and her guests will give you the tips you need, whether you're a student, parent, or educator. Now, here is your host, Dr. Cynthia Colon. Okay, everyone. Well, I gave the big intro, and here she is, Tony Perry herself. Oh, my goodness. Tony, literally, how long has it been since we, since we met? You know, it's, I think it's been about four or five years. Um, and, and I think I remember you were at the very first event that I did after I launched the book. What? That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was, it was the Bra Business Relationship Reliance. That was my very first event. Oh my goodness. Well, you were fabulous. And, and you know, I, I attend a lot of events and I don't always remember the speaker, but I definitely remembered you. And I just kind of oh. kept your information in the back, you know, you know, in my Rolodex, which is our phones basically. Okay. And uh, so I'm so glad that I reached out. And even once I reached out, you guys, it was, it took some time for us to finally coordinate and get this all squared away. So excited to have you here. It's a beautiful Thanks. day at the time of this recording. It's a gorgeous day um, in Southern California. And uh, we're going to just dive right in because I have you here and I'm like not letting you go out of my sight until <laughs> we do this interview finally. So, you know, share with our listeners 
just, I gave them a little sense of who you are and, uh, but this hype book, can you just share what that is and the story of how it came to be? Yes, yes, yes. So my hype book is a guided motivational journal that walks you through the process of really just taking inventory of your gifts, your talents, your strengths, your wins, your accomplishments. Oftentimes, we achieve something and then we're on to the next and we achieve something and we're on to the next and we don't really take the time to take inventory. We don't take the time to relish in that you know, that experience to celebrate it, to sit in it, to, you know, to be proud of ourselves. However, if we make a mistake or we have a failure or a setback, we will ruminate over that, you know, for sometimes days, weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even years. And so this is a book that is designed to really sort of shift the way or the most prevalent thoughts that you have about yourself, thoughts that celebrate who you are, as opposed to those thoughts that can be hypercritical. And um, the way it actually came about was I ran a PR agency here in Los Angeles for 10 years and I loved it for eight of those years. And uh, we were a luxury um, lifestyle and tourism agency. So our clients were um, high-end hotels, were destinations, were, you know, high-end shopping centers. And it was really, really great work. But, you know, as you know, as an entrepreneur, it can be really challenging, really taxing. I had a rock star team of employees. I had an impressive roster of clients, but I found myself no longer challenged, no longer motivated, and just uninspired by the work that I was doing and what I had built. You know, I called the company my baby for, you know, all of those years and I found myself, I didn't really want the baby anymore. <laughs> you know? I just wanted to do something different. And I really struggled with giving myself permission to do something different, to have a new dream, to aspire for something new. And I scaled back on the business and I'm at home now. I've transitioned my employees over to contract employees. I've not renewed contracts with our longstanding clients. And I am really feeling like a loser, to be quite honest. I was in the dumps. My confidence was at an all time low and confidence wasn't something that I really struggled with. I've always been a pretty optimistic person, but in that season, I had no optimism. I just felt terrible. And I happened across a documentary about Muhammad Ali. My husband was watching. He's a huge boxing fan. And I was captivated by his confidence. I was captivated by the fact that he maintained his confidence even in the face of defeat. He maintained his confidence even when the country despised him because he didn't support the Vietnam War. Um, I, he maintained his confidence even when he was stricken with Parkinson's disease. Every image that you think of about Muhammad Ali is a man of true confidence. And I was like, how? How did he maintain his confidence in all of this? And then a couple of clips later, I see right before he's going into a fight, his hype man, his corner man, Boudini Brown, is in his face, Cynthia, and he is ardently yelling and reminding him of his knockouts, his wins, that he is the greatest, that he's the champ. And my thought was, if we all had a hype man <laughs> reminding us, we'd have that kind of confidence as well. And my, my thought was, I need to make myself a hype book. And I keep journals. I love collecting journals. And so I'm sitting in the middle of my living 
living room floor, journaling. I decided to just journal in great detail. I cut out pictures. I mean, I did a lot of reflection and wrote in great, de great detail about my gifts, my talents, those things that I had achieved that made me really proud. Things like big accounts that we won as a small you know, agency, pro bono work that we had done that I was really proud of, even running the LA Marathon, something that was really personal to me. And when I tell you I did that for two days, I mean, literally sitting in my living room floor doing that for two days, there was this ascension of confidence that rose up in me because I was now looking at myself through my success lens. I was taking a moment to really be proud of myself and to see just how much I had actually accomplished. And a girlfriend sent me a, a text message during that time and asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm making a hype book. And she's like, what's a hype book? I said, it's the best thing ever. It's when you take time to really take inventory of your gifts and your talents and your wins. She said, Tony, that's amazing. Everybody needs one. I said, I know, that's why you have to do it. And she's like, no, Tony, <laughs> knock, knock, knock. <laughs> Everybody needs one and you need to write that book. And that became a nine month journey into writing what is now my hype book. And it is a beautiful guided motivational journal that just walks you through the process of celebrating yourself, reflecting and taking stock of all that you have as an individual to give, who you are, things that you've overcome, lessons that you've learned. Because like I said earlier, Oftentimes we don't do that, but we'll we'll really spend a lot of time on those things that disappoint us and, and not give equal amount of time to our victories. Well, what you are saying is that you spent two days becoming your own hype man, your own exactly. hype man. Exactly. Yes, that's it. You know, I love this because it's not about being braggadocious. It's really about, in, in my world, and we're right in the midst of, you know, a teenagers having received their acceptances or wait lists or, or denials mm -hmm. and they will fixate on the ones that they didn't yes. and it's important for us to write down and remember and almost like if we had a you know wall of your awards and, and everything that you've ever succeeded at to remind you and to pick yes. yourself up and give yourself that confidence that you need to get through the next step so that's uh, so true there is a line in the book, because I will tell you when I was writing the book and I tell a few people about it, they'd say, I don't know, it kind of seems like it might make you kind of obnoxious and it might be, and I'm like, don't worry. First of all, if you're thinking about that, you don't have to worry about going there, but there's a line in the book that would help people to understand. It says, the presence of humility should not mean the absence of personal accolade. The presence of humility should not mean the absence of personal accolade. So we can still be a, a, a person that's modest, a person of humility, but it's okay for us to pat ourselves on the back, to say, good job, Tony, good job, Cynthia. You know, it's okay for us to do that. And when you have children, when they do, let's say you're Six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old comes home and they've gotten a star or they've gotten, you know, an award or you say, what'd you do? Tell me about it. And you want them to be proud of themselves. You want them to celebrate themselves. Why should that be any different when we become adults, you know, um, or, or, you know, going into college? You, it is the way we see ourselves is 100% how we project 
and and it is how people then approach us it's how we show up so good so good okay uh so much to get to and um i just for the record oh it's quiet right now they're doing some work <laughs> we're all working from home so <laughs> just go with the punches here exactly. and I, I am too vain to put on my big uh headphones <laughs> and to block it out like i'm doing this i'm like no oh, no so I'm going to mute myself when you're, when you're talking so that you don't hear the background. Okay. But anyway, for our viewers and listeners, share about your journey to college. Like who were your hype men and women as you were going through high school and, and maybe beyond? And I think if I remember correctly, you kind of had a windy road to get to college. So I did. Share the whole candid truth. Well, you know what? I was that child that I'm sure my parents were like, why is she that child? I didn't go straight to college after high school. I had been working in a management position with a company and I was, you know, really proud of the work that I was doing and I wasn't quite ready to go to college. And so what I convinced them is for me to, you know, kind of work. Let me see if I can just work in, in the, you know, this management position and they reluctantly agreed to it um, um but i will say it was hard for them especially because most of my family are educators my dad has always been an administrator for colleges my mother was a speech therapist my grandpa for was a principal you know at a school my my aunts are are you know was a speech pathologist so that education is in my family so for me to say i don't want to do that right now i knew i wanted to do it but i needed to take that pause i did um so i always had that kind of um uh, you know cheer i had those cheerleaders and and i had them advocating for me to pursue my education and also to go in whatever i wanted to you know um, go in whatever um, study of uh, that I wanted to go into. When I finally decided to go to school, my dad was so happy. He was, I'll pay for school. Don't worry about it. I've got you covered. Where well, I've been living independently with some girlfriends as roommates for you know a few years at that point. And I asked him, well, will you pay for me for my apartment too while I go to school? And since I went to school in my hometown, he said, no, you can live at home or I'll pay for you to live on campus. And I didn't want to do that because I kind of thought I was, you know, I was independent. I had, you know, lived my life in an apartment. So I wasn't going to do that. Right. <laughs> so he says, well, I'll, you know, you're going to have to pay for the apartment yourself. So I thought, clever me, I'll just find a scholarship and scholarship will pay for school my dad i'll sign in your lease i can find at least a year scholarship my dad will sign i'll uh, pay for me to have an apartment for a year lease and i've got it settled and i found out that the pageant at my school um gave away a three semester scholarship well my naive thinking is you put on a swimsuit you answer a question and a gown and you do a little wave and you get three semesters <laughs> No, I had no exposure or experience with pageants prior to that, obviously. But I went to the interest meeting for that pageant and, you know, they told us it did give away a three semester scholarship and these were all the things that you had to do and that it was a part of the Miss America franchise. So whoever won this pageant, it qualified them to then compete in the Miss Alabama pageant. And I'm like, oh, so this is how girls get to become Miss Massachusetts or Miss, you know, Louisiana. 
And also they said, interestingly enough, because I went to Alabama State University, which is a historically black college, um, there's never been an African-American winner. I thought, wait, what? And at that point, there had been almost 70 years of pageants. Oh, yes, just about 70 years of pageants. I could not believe it. I was absolutely floored. And so I, in that moment, decided, well, that's not fair. So I need to become Miss Alabama. I don't just need to win Miss Hornet, but I need to become Miss Alabama so that it's fair. And then, you know, other girls will see what the possibilities are. Um, and I've always been this kind of big, audacious, ambitious dreamer. So it wasn't far-fetched for me to think that. I just thought, well, you just tell me what I need to do to prepare to do that, and then I'll do it. And I ended up winning the Miss Hornet pageant, which was surprising to a lot of people because I was so new to it. And um, um, so I got my three semesters. <laughs> my dad paid for my- Take that, dad. Take that. Exactly. I know. He's wrong. I'm sure he was rolling his eyes. Like I, this, I can't with this girl, but um, so I go on to the Miss Alabama pageant and I make top ten, but I don't win. And um, it was um, for my school; they were thrilled because they never had, you know, a girl to from from you know Miss Hornet to make the top ten. And I'm like, well, yeah, I made top ten. That's what you have to do to get to you know to, to the title. So I was still of age, and, and so I said, well, I'll just compete in another one and come back next year and win. So I competed in the first preliminary, I know, just not never give up, which is why public relations has worked for me, because I can take a no and then come back with 10 more reasons why you should say yes. <laughs> um, so I competed in one pageant, and I was first runner-up. No problem. I competed in the next pageant, and these are little preliminaries that you have to quali that qualify you to go back to Miss Alabama. I competed in the second one. I was first runner up. Now a lot of people were telling me Alabama is not going to have a black winner, so you just focus on your education. And I will be honest, they weren't the dream killer people. They were realist. You know, these were my professors, even my dad. He said, Tony, Alabama is not going to have a black winner. You just focus on your education. And I competed in a third one. And I was first runner up. Now, I oftentimes was the only African-American girl competing against 22, 25 other girls. And so then I competed my fourth one. I'm first runner up. At this point, I know I'm determined I'm going to get there. And so I knew the vice president of academic affairs, and you'll love this story. So I knew the vice president of academic affairs because I worked at a fitness club, a private fitness club, and he was a member there. And so I got to know him and I'd go by his office and just say hi. And so I went by one day and I said, hey, Dr. Steptoe, I want you to know. So I'm running to become Miss Alabama. And when I win, you know, they give all the girls a, a scholarship. I mean, a full ride and everything. And so when I win, all of these other schools are going to be vying for me to come to their school. So if Alabama State wants me to stay, then he said, okay, Ms. Johnson, so what are you asking? I said, well, I want a full ride, I want books, and I want a housing allowance. And he says, okay, Ms. Johnson, let's put this in letter form, but you know Alabama's not going to have a black winner. And I said, yes, they are. You watch and see. It's going to happen. And so we put it in letter form. They created a file for me. And so I go on to compete in my fifth pageant. I'm first runner up again. I go into the sixth, sixth one. I'm 
second runner up. The seventh one, I am thinking, I think everybody's right. There are only two more qualifying pageants for me to get back to Miss Alabama and I age out at that point. And so I thought, oh my goodness. Well, I met Debbie Turner who was Miss America 1990, who was emceeing the pageant when I was giving up the Miss Hornet title. And she heard, you know, heard my story and she said, don't give up, whatever you do, don't give up, just keep going. So I competed in the seventh pageant, first runner up again. So now there's one more pageant. I know. I know. Isn't this crazy? Even Debbie said, I, first of all, I can't believe you've done this many pageants in one year. She had a similar story, but hers was over, I think a six or seven year period, maybe five year period. And um, so I go to the eighth pageant and I win. So this means I'm going back to Miss Alabama again. I am ready now. I am there. I make top 10 again at Miss Alabama and I don't get any further. I am devastated. I it just, how could this happen? I was so ready to win. Well, you know, there's the Miss, Al Miss America pageant and the Miss USA pageant. The director of the Miss USA pageant contacted me after the Miss Alabama pageant and Miss Alabama USA pageant. She contacted me and said, would you be interested in competing in my pageant? Which didn't have preliminaries. She just did an entrance fee and or application and an entrance fee and you go straight into competing at the state level. I said, no, I'm done with pageants. I'm not some pageant bunny. This is ridiculous. Alabama's not going to have a black winner. My mom and my mentor tried everything they could to convince me to keep going. It's not happening. Please don't even talk pageants to me anymore. That pageant was four months later. Four months later now, fast forward to October 29th, somebody, a, a gentleman who was a judge on the very first pageant that I was in, he called and found out that I had not been set myself up to participate. So he called me and he said, why aren't you competing in the pageant? And I said, I'm, I told you guys, I'm not doing pageants anymore. He let me have it. He said, have you not learned anything? He said, you get yourself together and you get up to that pageant and you do not let other people dictate what you do or what you don't do. And so um, I said, I haven't even applied or anything. He said, call her. So I called the director and she said, Tony, I'm so happy to hear from from you. I got your application, but I never heard any more from you. Well, my mom and my mentor had sent an application in for me months before, unbeknownst to me. So she was, I was able to enter the pageant. So I go in the next day, do nothing to prepare. I go right in. I just, the pageant starts. I make the top. I think that one had a top uh, 12, make the top 12. And then they do a top six and make the top six. And then it's now two, three, and it's me, one other young woman by the name of Kaylin Chapman and another woman by the name of Anna Mingus. And Anna Mingus was the favorite. She had beautiful brunette hair and olive skin and green eyes, and she was the favorite. Well, they name, you know, they get to naming who's the, who are the top three and they name Kaylin as the second runner up. And then they name me as the winner making Anna the second runner up. And I ended up breaking a, 72 year glass ceiling <laughs> on October 31. And it was the most remarkable moment. And, um, and, and really interesting because it was a, a process that taught me about determination 
and a, a stick to itiveness and a resilience that was able to quiet the cacophony of voices that were saying Alabama's not going to have a black winner. But I, I was so married to my own conviction about what I believe was possible that I was able to keep going in spite of that and then ended up, you know, winning this title. Well, okay. So first of all, she just dropped a bunch of golden bombs, golden nuggets, whatever. So I hope you were taking notes if you're watching and listening. But Tony, Tony said, and I know she didn't mean this, or maybe did. She said that she was didn't went in and wasn't prepared. You hadn't hadn't prepared. You had been preparing exactly for many years before, yes. right? Months, so, right? What's the that's the saying? You know, luck is. Preparation right. meaning opportunity. Yes. And exactly. if you are prepared and you had been preparing and preparing all, all those, those times. Yes. And what is, so the way, the way my brain works and, you know, and, and your, your hype book, I, I should have brought my hype book. I have my hype book too. And I, I write down my wins, but awesome. you said this was, it taught you so many lessons and the stick to itiveness and uh, just, just, uh, silencing the voices that were telling you otherwise, like to stop. Yeah. And you, you kept going. So how does what you just, the story that you just shared is an amazing story. I know everyone was going to remember it like I do. How can we apply those rules to what teenagers go through, not just through to the, get to college, but just it, you know, being a teenager takes courage and bravery every okay. single day going to going into high school. So okay. how does that apply to young teens? You know, that's a, it's a really good question and it's a hard answer because I think all of us, you know, are motivated and inspired and hurt by different things. Um, but I think it is, there is a process of knowing who we are and knowing the gifts and the talents that are instilled in us and seeing uh, ourselves in our best light that helps to not buy into the negativity of others. Because a lot of times when somebody is negative towards you, it really has not a lot to do with you. It has more to do with them and their own insecurity. Or just their limited belief. Those people that said Alabama's not gonna have a black winner. Um, th those people were re just very limited in their belief in what was possible. And I was so, convinced that I knew myself and I knew my determination at some point was going to pay off for me. And so I, I think that was where the resilience came from for me. But I think it is, you have to, as a teenager, as an adult, you have to be um, your own advocate. You've got to be able to awaken that inner advocate in yourself that says, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I know who I am. I know what I'm about. I know what I can do. I know the gifts that I can bring. I also know my faults and I know my shortcomings, but there's more good in me and there's more for me to offer than those things that, that where I may not, you know, measure up, but th that's not the lane that I'm supposed to go in. So I think it's a really a process of how well do you get to know yourself? How well do you take care of yourself? And I was listening to somebody the other day about um, a really good podcast. Um, they were talking about who do you give the microphone 
um, that speaks into your life. And you've got to be really selective about who that is. And your voice in yourself has got to be louder than any of those others, you know, around you that may not know the full of who you are or the heart of who you are. Oh, it reminds me of a, I think as a, a line in my book, it says, the soundtracks we play in our heads will help us or harm us. Yes, exactly. Choose, right? And then there's a piece of that of like, as a parent, you have to be fueling your kids with positivity. Yes. That those soundtracks will, uh, let me, let me not say soundtracks because those teenagers who are listening don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. Yeah. You know, the records, the albums, the, the yes. soundtracks. Yeah. Yeah. The, the messages that we're hearing. So that's so, so true. That's one of the reasons why I had to write the book because the record that was playing in my head was you, you are a loser. You gave away, you gave up your company, you know, you, you didn't do this. You could have done this better. And I had to switch up. What is it that I'm telling myself and what am I thinking about and how am I seeing myself? You've got to be active in seeing yourself through your success lens, because I honestly believe we are a culmination of a lot more the good that we do in our lives than the, than the mistakes, the failures, the setbacks, the misunderstandings, you know, about who we are. And, and we have to own that. We've got a champion for ourselves. When I was writing my book, I remember asking my husband, do you think this will resonate with other people? I mean, maybe it was just for me. And he said, Tony, who was your muse for the book? If Muhammad Ali, the greatest fighter of all time, needed a hype man and, and was actively hyping himself up all the time. This is something that we all need. All of us have these places where our confidence gets shaken. There are these times when the record in our head is not favorable, but right. you've got to know how to shut that down. And he was a, a beautiful model uh, you know, of that. Even when he lost, right. he still called himself a winner. <laughs> and so- I'm always like, you know, you need a, a power song and like, uh, even, you know, even today, uh, I had a couple, you had one more interview before you and everybody has a routine and when you're getting ready to do something and, you know, this is may not, not seem hard, uh, when you're watching it, but when I'm doing this, I, I get up, I play a, my power song and I mm -hmm. listen to a, a previous episode that I, you know, what's a really great episode I listened to and I liked how I interviewed or what the questions were. So mm -hmm. I have to, we have to be our own hype man. Yes. Um, and we have to train youngsters how to, how to do that. So again, in my world, it would be like, you know, stu students telling, sharing their dreams, which I'm a big advocate of, write right. down your dreams, share your dreams with as many as po people as possible. Like you were saying, the, the VP of student affairs, you said, when I become Miss right. Obama, you know, you weren't saying like, well, if I do, you know, but when sharing your dreams, just there's. Uh, that is just going to make the world sort of answer right. your, your dreams. But you will have people who say, I can't get into Harvard. Like, what are you crazy? I can't get into USC. Like, it's, it's so hard. But you have to believe in yourself. And, exactly. and uh, even if it doesn't happen the first time, right? You don't get in right away. There's grad school, there's transferring, there's all kinds of ways. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your dreams. You can't, you have to, you, their limiting beliefs you don't need to own them. If this is the, a desire that's in your heart, then let that be your heart's desire and be determined to live that out. Because um, here's another thing too, and I do, I have a hype um, tunes. I have a hype tunes list on my, in my 
a playlist when I'm going to do, I mean, I still amused. There's certain songs that I just need to put on and play it out because it helps get me in that, you know, ramped up believing in myself mode. But I also believe that having a hype tribe, having those people around you that you know will help encourage you, that have an ability to see your vision for your dreams and, and will talk you off the ledge when you're feeling, you know, really doubtful. But I will even say they fall in categories. My dad is very much a realist. I will say he's gotten so much better over the years, but he is not one that I like to sh share new dreams with because he's going to tell me, well, let's be realistic about this and let's think about all the things. And he's thinking about all the reasons why something won't happen. My mom, on the other hand, was always the one that could get right on board, you know, with my dreams. And so I, I learned how to, who to share my dreams with and who could handle you know, which dreams and who could be that encouragement for me because there are sometimes inevitably those dream killers that, you know, for whatever reason, just, you know, because of their limiting the beliefs, don't believe it's possible and they will try and talk you out of it. Um, and you have to either be strong enough to shut them down and, you know, shut down what they're thinking or you just be selective about who you share your dreams with. Okay, so you just gave me two ideas. So um, I have a power playlist, so I'm gonna call, I'm now gonna change it to my hype list. <laughs> and um, so in the book, I say that everybody needs believers, cheerleaders, mm -hmm. and supporters. Supporters, believers, cheerleaders. Yes. <laughs> and each of them are slightly different, right? They serve mm -hmm. a different role. And so now I've, I've now, you know, that's the hype tribe. Like you need, a believer just believes like, yes, you're going to be president of the United States. I totally believe you. And the cheerleader yes. is like, okay, I'm cheering you on. Yes, you can do it. Yes. And the supporter gives you support in ways that that person can give you support. Exactly. Not always <clears throat> what you want, but the way that they can. That's it. I love that. That is so smart. Put the, those are the categories. I absolutely love that. I think that is, it's wisdom because then you know who to go to for what. And you also know it, it kind of helps to insulate you from the disappointment that you may have that this person is more of a supporter when they see you. My dad is definitely a supporter. When he sees me going after something and when he sees the momentum, he will support that. But he's not that person from the very beginning that I can take it you know, to. Um, and again, he's gotten so much better over the years, but he's still, you know, one of my biggest fans. And um, um, even at my age, I still call him, you know, okay, I'm doing something, you know, and I've already started doing it and this is what's happening. And then he'll, he'll be that encourager, but that's good. I'm glad you broke that down because I think that is key to understand who falls in those categories. So you know what to, what you can expect from them. Well, I have one last question. If you can briefly get, I mean, you know, you have probably tons of advice, but for our listeners and viewers who are on this journey of become, you know, getting to college <clears throat> as the next step in their bigger, you know, their bigger goal of a happy future and career mm -hmm. or whatever, they are dreamers and doers that follow us. And so what is the one tip that you can give? Like what's some, someone who's listening and thinking, I want to get to that college. I want to get to that career. I want to be a Supreme Court justice or whatever. Um, 
what's something they can do now as a teenager? What's the first step they should take to achieving their goals? Uh, you know, something that I did, and I've always been a big advocate of this, uh, my faith has always been a big part of my life. And there's a scripture that says, write the vision, make it plain. And I have lived by that. When I was pursuing Miss Alabama, all over my apartment, I know it drove my roommate bananas, but I had little um, uh, note cards that said, Tony Johnson, Miss Alabama, my maiden name. Tony Johnson, Miss Alabama was on the thermostat. It was on the microwave. It was on the, the, um, the, the t above the TV. It was on my um, alarm clock. It was in my bathroom. It was in the shower. It was everywhere. It was in the freezer. You opened up the refrigerator, there's a little note card in there. Everywhere around my apartment, it said, Tony Johnson, Miss Alabama. And it was those, I, I look back now, I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but it kept my vision in front of me. It, may, it kept it real for me. And I think that was one of the things that helped me to not listen to the naysayers or the people around me that didn't believe it was possible because the vision was so real for me. And I think we have to do those things that make our dreams real to us. And if it is, how do you see yourself in that place? How do you see yourself in that dream? How do you really imagine yourself sitting on that Supreme Court if that's what you wanna do? Um, um, holding that place in office if, that, if that's what your dream is, going to that particular college? then do those things that help you to really get a vision for that and visit that on a regular basis. Mine was to put it all over, plaster it all over, you know, my apartment. And it made such a world, you know, of difference. So much so that when I actually won Miss Alabama, I was thrilled. But I will say I had been there so much in my head that when I got there, it wasn't as, I wasn't as excited as everybody thought I would be because I had been walking in that excitement all along. Yeah, you were you were living out your reality before your reality became. Exactly, exactly. Muhammad Ali says, I, I, was, I said I was the greatest before I was. I think that's one of his quotes. And that's what that is. It is, he was definitely envisioning himself, you know, with those championship belts and, <laughs> Um, and that, I think that's what you, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Ah, Tony, I'm telling you, I'm like, I, I just got like chills and, and like tears. Oh. Okay. Hold on with us. I'm going to do a wrap up here. Um, but we'll, I'll come back and we'll wave to the camera, but, um, you guys, if that was not a powerful episode, I don't know what was, I mean, I feel like I have now also given myself some more things to think about and go back to my hype book and write some things down. But Tony shared some uh, tips and some tales and, and some truth, but here's my takeaway from today. It's all about your vision for yourself. Yes. It starts with vision for you. Yes. And if you can get clarity on your own vision, nothing else will ever stand in that way. You have to be your own hype man, your own believer, your own supporter, your own cheerleader. And yes, you need that tribe also. But you, when you find clarity on your own vision and you decide what you're greatest at, you're living your reality before it becomes reality. Mm -hmm. That is the truth. So with that said, 
Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Uh, we know you have a full plate, especially these days. There's so much that so many of us are doing. So thank you for spending some time and hearing from Tony and her story. If this episode has in any way fueled your confidence or helped build your own dreams, please share this episode with three people in the next 30 minutes. And if you're feeling extra loving today, please hit subscribe. Please write a, a review. It helps other listeners and viewers find us as well. I have a gift for you on my website, drcynthiacolon.com. Depending on when you, where you are with your journey and your team, um, there, find the right one for you. Parents, you can join us on our Facebook group, Destination University, where all our parents of college-bound teens get the insider scoop from me. So that is all I have for you. We're going to wave here until next episode, wherever you are. May you have a happy and sunny day. Thank you so much, Tony. This was so helpful, I know, to me. So You are so welcome. I had a blast. I love, love, love what you're doing. I think it's important work. And it just makes a world of difference. So um, to be a part of that has been really, really special. So thank you so very much. Okay, let's wave while I, we do the outro, little outro right here. And here Thank you so much for listening this week to Destination University. Be sure to join Dr. Cynthia Colon again next Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, and get one step closer to your success.